curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. Today, I'm joined by Matt Lamb, Vice President of Partner Development for Facilis Group, a roughly $700 million business with over 100 distributors in the promotional products industry across the United States and Canada. In the epilogue of this series, I mentioned the desire to investigate how companies are using data to inform their sales efforts, and I couldn't think of a better guest to speak with on this particular topic, as Matt, for Facilis Group, is at the epicenter of data and sales. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Rob. Glad to be here. Super happy to have you here, man. You know, uh, you and I, in our discussions leading up to this, had talked about the possibility of you coming on and your enthusiasm for data was palpable, and I'm certain that uh, people who are listening to this are going to be able to witness firsthand how much you love how these two things come together. So, you know, but before we jump into that part of it, I think it would be pertinent to give the people who are listening a little bit of background on you and how you got your start in the industry. Sure. So, uh, in 2006, I started a top 40 distributor out of St. Louis Gate. TDI, um, and I was work. They're they're very heavily um, involved in the program side of the business, fulfillment company stores, and a big part of my role became filling out RFPs for for big program business, uh, which led to a important lesson learned uh, early on in my career, which was uh, not all business is good business, and not all opportunities are the right opportunities and worthwhile opportunities. So we were churning out RFPs left and right. Uh, there's a tr- if anybody's ever filled out a multi-million dollar RFP, there's a tremendous amount of work and resources that goes into it. You have to involve several departments. And it, it's quite a process. And at one point, we estimated to do everything right, which we would only uh, go down that path if we were really going to put our best foot forward. We have hard and soft totaling about $10,000 per RFP 
and we were turning these out all over the place. They all sound great. You, everyone wants to get these big programs, but what we found is, in almost all cases, the the, the company really wasn't interested in, in our business. They were just going to use our RFP along with maybe a couple dozen other distributors to beat up the person they had uh, as much as they can and, and they weren't really even interested in making a switch. So a lot of work, a lot of investment results in no and a lot of the cost of production, but obviously there's a, a major opportunity cost there as well. So, you know, data really, the, the subject of data really relates to this story as well as fast forward a few years, uh, you know, long story short, I, I ended up joining when they came over to the U.S. a year later. And, um, you know, it's, it's just great ever since. But back to Gateway CDI, within a couple of years of that, they finally took a step back and, and questioned what they were doing and and whether it was worthwhile, and also looked at the existing programs that they had. So I'm going to show the numbers a little bit, but let's say they had 20 programs that they had in their wheelhouse space with the pack and ship. Um, they started evaluating each of those 20 as if it was its own business and ran through what they call economic engine, really understood the ability of each program. And when they did, it was very eye-opening, and they realized – Boy, you know, it's an 80-20 rule with, with everything in business, and they realized that there's maybe six or seven of these programs that we're making on, and those are allowing us to operate the other uh, programs we're losing money on. So they eventually concluded to fire those those programs, and um, on the end of the pipeline, they decided they weren't going to pursue another RFP opportunity unless it, meet, unless it met these uh, certain criteria that where it would essentially validate to go forward. And those decisions were a pivotal moment in Gateway CDI's business. They never looked back and it was, it was a huge turning point for them. So uh, huge lesson learned there. And it, it's really played out in so many ways throughout my career that that mantra I keep going back to of not all business to good business. Because in, in this industry, you know, the good news is every company buys promo, uh, promo and the bad news is every company buys promo. Right. So as we're talking about sales and, you know, what, what opportunities, what pitches to swing at, this becomes, I think, paramount to, to really, really understand. And the, the best reps get that. Yeah, you know, I'll echo that. Um, I, I had a stretch of uh, time as a salesperson both in the promotional products industry and then even predating my time in the promotional products industry back when I was working in office equipment to the to um, be responsible for enterprise sales. And when you're in enterprise selling, I mean, it really it you almost invariably you're going to get drafted into an RFP. And, you know, even if you are the incumbent, a lot of times you're going to have to participate in that evaluation at some point in the stage of your relationship with the customer. Um, be it, you know, after one renewal or maybe after that first renewal, or maybe even sometimes at the end of your first contract, you know, it, was, it wasn't uncommon to get an RFP from the purchasing and procurement departments of those organizations. And in much the same way as you, we evolved ourselves to a point where we had a scoring system. And if, you know, in much the same way as you're saying, if 
the the RFP itself was one part of the scoring system, but there was a number of secondary questions that had to be answered with respect to the relationship that our organization may have had with the company who had produced the RFP. And we got ourselves to the point where, and Matt, I'm sure you've had similar situations where you have to deliver a not very comforting message to the salesperson who would be the benefactor of that RFP if the organization was successful in getting it, that you weren't going to participate and the reasons behind it, which is oftentimes one of the biggest struggles for a salesperson to try to hear is that not only are we not, you know, we're not even going to pursue it. We're not even going to take a swing, which, you know, that can be disheartening to salespeople. So that, that can be a difficult message to deliver. Oh, no, totally. And you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's all about relationships and that's a key barometer that everyone should use. If, if you're going to take a swing, you should first ask yourself, what, what's the relationship yeah, with and, this company? And, and I don't want to um, necessarily have you give away all the ingredients to the secret sauce when it comes to the way you guys evaluate. But, you know, can you share maybe a couple of the pieces that might go into that puzzle when it comes to that? Uh, into the RFP process? Yeah, the, you know, sort of the rating, the ratings that you do and why you might or might not choose to do it. Yeah, and, um, and, and the biggest one is what you just touched on, re- relationships. So fa- there, there would have to be some face-to-face, uh, at least one or two face-to-face meetings in order for there to even be a consideration. So that's that's step one. If, it, if we haven't gotten there, then we're just a name on a list. And um, so that's a great point and then there's other criteria that uh you know if the opportunity says it's a million dollars well reality is telling us that that's a three hundred thousand dollar you know program and that that sort of thing so every company i, I would say gateway cdi established their own threshold of what that meant and every company would need to do and we've seen that with facilis partners that if you don't really kind of uh think you need to be proactive about where you're going to uh, spend your resources and, and what opportunities you're going to pursue because otherwise you're going to be in reactive mode and you're going to be, there's going to be emotion immediately involved there because this is an opportunity. Like you said, there's a rep involved now. Whereas as a company, if we step back and say, this is the criteria that warrants a, uh, an opportunity, then there's no discussion to be had when a, cust- a sales rep comes in with an opportunity that's under that that gold mark. So get out in front of it, and that resolves a lot of the issues. Yeah, and what better way to present an uncomfortable uh, reaction to the salesperson than to inform it with the collective data of however many RFP responses have been done by the organization leading up until that point, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. All right, so let's let's talk about a little bit when it comes to data. Let's talk a little bit about your role within Facilis um, and your interaction with salespeople. And you you spend time away from your family, so uh, knowing that your family sacrifices you for the good of the member organizations and the salespeople, what kind of transpires with you when you're out in the field with the reps? Yeah, you know, travel is not easy for anybody. It's, it's always difficult on the personal side of things. On the business side of things, it, it's a tremendous blessing to be going out and meeting with uh, businesses and, and sales reps in this industry because there's something to learn from from everybody, and it's it really uh, quite an experience. So I go around the country, and um, as it pertains to sales reps, 
I'll spend time implementing new partners and, and spend time with their sales team for a few days implementing them into facilities, uh, training them on the technology, and we'll get into some sales strategy and that sort of thing. Uh, I will also visit partners just in, in general, uh, going around and spending a day with them typically will consist of a few hours with their sales team. And, and that's, to me, the really big part because that, that's where we can really dig into their numbers specifically and talk about their businesses and really use data, uh, which I'll kind of explain a little bit on some of the ways that I use that to, to, to hopefully reach them in a different way than just talking theory. And then um, two other two ways I interact with reps, uh, we do new sales rep training where our partners can send their new hires into St. Louis a couple times a year for sales training. And then we launched a new program in 2017 that uh, that's basically a reality TV show where I'm working with 10 designated reps that applied to be in this program. We have a monthly strategy call and it, it's really been quite an experience. We're, we're a few months into that, but those are the, the four categories of how, what, what, how and when I'm spending time with, with the sales folks. And again, uh, between those interactions and the incredible access to data that I have on the Addy's technology platform that Facilis provides, it's a, it's a goldmine of data. So I try and use those two pieces to come up with some some compelling content to help reps grow their business, basically. So I like to incorporate data into the conversations with reps, um, not to show all the crazy metrics that are new and hot topics, but ironically, I've found myself using data and new technology to get reps back to the fundamentals. So, you know, the access data is, is changing, technology is changing, the client expectations uh, are certainly changing, and these are all sexy things to talk about, but let's not forget about the things that aren't changing. People still buy from people. We talked about that earlier. Reps that are focused and really utilize the right tools and take a strategic strategic approach to add value, those reps are killing it, uh, plain and simple. So in many ways, all the things that are changing um, can distract us from focusing on the blocking and tackling of sales. And people love to talk about, I'll give you an example, something I was, I was thinking about trying to illustrate the point here. People love talking about social media, and I, I'm not condemning that, but I, I've learned to, to put a lot of weight on what I see actually happening, not what I read or hear. And personally, I haven't met a single person in the hundreds of, of people I've gotten to know intimately over the past decade that's killing it with social media in the promo space. So meanwhile, I've met lots of people that are crushing it with hard work and focus. <laughs> those are two factors in my opinion. And the only thing that's changed in those two words, I'd argue, is probably it's more difficult to focus in today's world than ever. And I feel that's a competitive advantage for those that get it and those that don't. So back to your question, I spend time with reps using technology and data to try and help deliver the fundamentals of growth. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago that if I just talk theory and, and show a system, nobody's going to fewer attention and, and nobody's going to change. So I like to use case studies and real numbers, if at all possible, that, comp that sales team's numbers and or one-on-one, -on -one that, that individual's numbers so the light bulb can go off because data can help strip the emotion out of some of the tough conversations 
that you kind of have to have to shed light on some blind spots that reps might have. So one that I tend to gravitate towards quite a bit because it's such a glaring issue out there is back to the word that I'll continue to throw out there, focus, identifying clients and activities that are that are time killers. So, you know, in sales, you can't add hours to the day. And at some point, you're going to you're going to work hard and start bumping your head up against the ceiling. So what are you going to change? You can't add hours to the day. You've got to recalibrate at different checkpoints in your sales career. And that really means a client that was maybe a really good, you know, when you start sales, every client's a good client. Let's call it what it is. But you're a $500,000 rep now. You've been in sales for a few years. Some of those clients that you got early on that helped, helped get you where you are simply are no longer a good fit. And, and they're actually holding you back. So I can say that to a rep and it's not going to go well. Or I can show a report of reps that are, are telling it because they've been able to let go, and I can show just how debilitating it is in black and white for, for that rep. What tends to be a better approach is showing the company's data, so it's not about that one particular rep, and you distance yourself a little bit because as soon as they see their client's name and they think you're calling them out as they have a problem, they'll to resist as well. But that, that, those are things that I, I like to try and use data to, to get the point across. Man, you just, there's like seven different things that I'd love to touch on when it comes to that, but I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it down to just a couple, just in the instance of time. Um, so gosh, we've watched so many organizations adopt customer relationship management tools and, you know, they're using Salesforce to help manage their pipelines and uh, look at activity when it comes to what salespeople are doing on a daily basis. But I guess what I would say in, in my time, you know, I, I started selling before those tools existed. And I always had to go to my manager's office every Friday morning for a one-on-one, -on -one, for an activity review. And, you know, there was these axioms that, that used to get thrown around, things like, you know, plan your work and work your plan. And if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And what I feel like in a lot of ways now is, People are using technology in place of those interactive and interpersonal conversations. And a manager knows the personalities of, its, of his, his or her salespeople. So if there's been a decline in activity or if your pipeline's fallen off, pretty typically there's something going on in that salesperson's life. And if you don't have a good relationship with your sales manager and all that person is doing is evaluating the data, that could be a huge disconnect for both parties. So that, that's kind of first and foremost. But you know what, Matt, even more importantly, what I see more frequently is there's a lot of data being collected, but I think that there's not a lot of data being analyzed because the, the steps in the sales process, while you know the inbound methodology might be slightly different at the top of the funnel, the, the conversation, the real conversation that leads to a sale still begins between the customer and the salesperson. And as they move down the funnel, there's steps that need to be followed that typically are teachable from the leadership of the organization to the field, field sales staff that let's say you're doing a great job at, at prospecting and you're getting people into the top of the funnel, but you're having a, a terrible time in moving them from uh, suspect from prospect to opportunity. A good sales manager should be doing that analysis and that's really a coaching and counseling moment for that salesperson because they don't want to fail. They don't want to be unsuccessful, 
But if no one's working with them to help identify where their weaknesses are, what real opportunity do they do they have to improve? So what, what I see is a big challenge a lot of the times. It comes in that, yeah, it still maybe is an activity review, but it's the manager on one end of the phone and the salesperson on the other end of the phone reviewing a tool that really doesn't get down to the granular level of what's really going on and what training might that person need to be successful. Yeah, yeah, no, totally agree. And the sales management in our industry is certainly an interesting topic. I, you know, there's a vast majority of distributorships that can't or don't don't have the resource to be able to to really afford somebody to be a, a, a sales manager. I mean, the, the reality of our industry is most business owners are the top producers and the sales manager and the therapist. And, you know, it, it's, it's difficult and you can't, most distributors also can't just afford to have somebody they hire go out and it might be a blessing in disguise, hire somebody to be a full-time sales manager, blessing in disguise, because I think it's really important to your point that, again, in industries, but certainly in ours, that a sales manager is leading by example and is in the trenches and, and maybe isn't consumed and have a conflict of interest with all their own accounts trying to manage but is in the game yep. and may have high-level accounts that they're selling, helping to offset their salary and compensate package, really in it with the, with the reps and not just sitting behind a desk looking at data, but going out with them. And, and if I think every sales manager should be out in the field with reps on a regular basis, they interact with customers because, like like I think you're saying, you, you can't really coach behind what a screen is telling you. You need to you need to be hearing them on the phone, seeing them with customers and everything else. Yeah, we there was a couple uh, again using old school axioms. So it was uh, management by walking around and then management by the whites of their eyes. And if you weren't in front of those people, you know, on a on a very regular basis, then the opportunity both from an accountability perspective but more importantly, from a growth perspective, is diminished, right? So if if I'm not offering you my coaching, then your expectation is, well, my performance must be left up to me, and I'll just do whatever it is that I think I need to do today. And I, when I got promoted from sales rep to first-line sales manager, I actually became a better salesperson because I had to emulate those best practice behaviors on a day-in and day-out basis Whereas maybe if I was achieving my quota, maybe I wouldn't play golf on Thursday, right? So when you're deal- you have a team of five, I mean, that's one day with each rep in the field per week. There's really no opportunity to, to go do things like play golf. So, so right. I, I can't reiterate your point enough. The data is very important, but it's what you do with the data that you gather and the way that you use it to help the organization improve that really is the secret sauce between moving the sales efforts forward and maybe just spinning your wheels. All right, so having said that, we got to back up the tape. So what is this reality TV show that you're talking about? What, what, what the heck are you, what's going on there? It's just something we, uh, we are experimenting with. We did a little pilot um, program towards the end of last year with a few reps and, and it worked really well. So we rolled it out uh, a little bit more 
2017 and had, you know, reps from all over apply to be in it. We, we had our, our big summer event and had these 10 reps that were selected come out. We did a two day boot camp uh, with them and really getting back to the blocking and tackling and, and form, formulated this place that they follow. And like I said, a monthly uh, strategy call that I spent an hour with them just kind of going through their uh, their activities and how things are going and, and forming some form of a strategy for the, for the upcoming month. So it's there's not a lot of, uh, you know, there's no magic bullet to it, but a couple things just to give you an idea that, that we're doing. So making sure that you're using samples on a regular basis. As simple as that, that sounds, there's many incredible supplier tools out there that can reps can get overwhelmed and all of a sudden it's been six weeks and they're not, they're not able to be proactive. They're not getting ideas out there and you hear it all the time, but if execution isn't there, that's such a big missed opportunity. And, and again, this is a world of distraction. So I boil, I go, come back to that same word. Uh, I boil the program down to two words, focus and utilize, utilize the tools that Facilis offers and, and focus on the right opportunities. So We'll use, again, some, some great sales reports to form some strategies on what I like to call the high growth opportunities, and that could be your, your number one customer. If they're doing $100,000 this year, that, that's great, and that looks great on paper, but if they have a $2 million spend, that might be then, even though they're your number one client, they may be your number one growth opportunity, and while you're servicing Joe's car garage, that's all time that you could be spending penetrating this account deeper. So, you know, focusing on, on things like that. And then, you know, even the blocking time, I have them each send it. It's going to sound hokey, but I have them, gave them all uh, a, a printout of each month of the calendar. And every month before our call, they have to send me the results from their previous month. And quite simply, they put an X on each business day where they spent an hour making focused outbound calls and pulling them to be proactive and be out in front of their customers. Back to data, believe it or not, the average rep in facilities, when we look at our our CRM system and the customer engagement levels, the average rep is not engaged with 50% or more of their clients. You, you just, you kind of are left scratching your head. So you, how can we create processes to ensure that we're not letting a whole month go by where we're just reactive the whole time? You know, so it's it's those types of things we're doing, and it, it's it's really becoming uh, uh, pretty powerful. And, and I'm learning a ton from these guys working some, with some really good people. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, we're doing this so we can provide real time case studies to the rest of our group on saying these. Look at what these ten reps are doing. It's all stuff that you can be doing too, and it's working. You know, so. It was, it's just a different attempt because, again, we can sit there and talk theory all day long and talk about a rep that went from 300000 to 700000 but at some point you get to out, and so this was just a way to try and bring our message to life. So you, you got a little muddy there for a second, so I'm just gonna, I, want, I want you to reiterate that point. I think I heard you correctly. That sometimes you found that they were spending as much as 50% of their time doing non-selling activity. Um, uh, sorry, I didn't. I didn't mention anything about a uh, specific time, but it, it's funny that you you ask that because it's there is one general component that I find is is pretty prevalent out out there 
demonstrate where a rep is spending, I, I always ask the rhetorical question to reps, what percentage of your time are you spending on business you've already closed? Hand-holding orders, that, to me, that's sales malpractice. And a good process should allow that to be dramatically minimized. And to me, that's, that's a very important starting question uh, of the whole focus topic for sales growth. Sales malpractice. I love it. That is that is such a great term. I I'm I wrote it down. Sales malpractice. That's fantastic. <laughs> so Matt, as as we wrap up here, I want to um, leave you the opportunity. You know, clearly the listenership will be in varying degrees of um, expertise when it comes to their own personal use of data and the way that they're. Uh, collecting information and then analyzing it and using it as a means by which to perhaps improve their sales efforts. If it were you and you were going to give this group a piece of advice, what would be the first most important thing that you would suggest they do if they wanted to try to do better in that arena? I would I would step back from my business for a moment and try and identify you know, the, the, the best version of my book of business, what, what does my perfect world look like? What does my perfect day look like? And again, take a moment to proact. I mentioned it before on the business owners side of things, but as a rep, what would, what would my ideal book of business look like? Uh, I'm guessing the answer would not involve 500 clients with 70% of those spending less than $5,000 annually with you. Right. That's, typically the reality, right? So I, I think the idea is map out, get it in writing and use that as your principles that to guide your own actions. Because if you try and fill that out, you can think about that and, and think you're going to stick to it. But you know, we're, we're salespeople. These <laughs> opportunities come, you get excited and you jump in the pool. <laughs> and, and so I, th- I think mapping that out uh, goes a long way. Getting it in writing goes a long way of, serving as your compass to, again, stay focused on the good, profitable piece of business. And it's not Pepsi that you're going after, and it's not Joe's car garage and identifying your sweet spot. And, and also on the same, same, uh, similar lines, you want to all constantly be looking at what's working for you. Where are you getting return on your activity and, and, and feed that, you know, there's one, one other thing I've, uh, I've, I've seen quite a bit or learned in, in my, my career here at Facilis is there's, there's not one way to get to, to be a successful rep. It's incredible how diverse that group of $2 million plus dollar producers are. There's so many different approaches and personality types. So long-winded answer, but I, I find your way of doing things, uh, document what, you, what your path is to get there and, and stick to that. That's excellent advice. It's actually, it reminds me, I'd written a piece for promo corner not too long ago called the keys and one of the uh, first points that I try to make in that piece is when you ask yourself the question who do you sell to if the answer is everyone you probably are already on the wrong foot because you can't be everything to everyone and I would I strongly recommend to people that come into contact with me and seek my advice in that arena is Take the solutions that you've created and try to find as many people that you can that would want to buy what you've created. It's, it's astounding to me how many times I watch promotional products distributors literally reinvent the wheel with every new opportunity. 
And it's, it's incredibly inefficient and unproductive. And it really does lead to what we're describing here where you're not getting the right kind of return on your time investment because it really truly is. You and I both know it's the only thing we can't stop is time. So why not take the, the good solutions that you've already created and go try to find more people that want to buy that? So uh, Matt, thanks so much, man. I think you gave some really great answers to the questions and I'm, I'm certain that this will be thought provoking and really interesting to the people that are listening and I hope to have you back again real soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Roger. A pleasure. All right, man. Until next time. All right, take care.